0: Hello and welcome to the RTP Medical Podcast with me Dr Amy Burbridge. It is now September 2020. We are still in the midst of a global pandemic of COVID-19. Today, I am very, very happy and excited to have with me Professor Andrew Goddard, who is the President of the Royal College of Physicians. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Thank you so much for agreeing to join us today. Um, I guess I'm going to start this episode just by asking, how has the pandemic been for you? Uh...
1: Interesting I think you know yeah. I mean n- none of us signed up for the pandemic when we became doctors uh, and I guess that none of us really uh, well particularly when sort of I became college president it wasn't on my uh, to-do list. Uh, it's interesting that Dame Jane Daker, who preceded me you know mm-hmm. said to me what you know You can plan things, but there'll always be events. And events will generally shape what happens to you in your time. And she was right, completely right, uh, and in spades. Uh, I think it's been something that I found tough, you know, at the the first couple of months was really, really hard work. Um, We're sort of working 14-hour, 16-hour days, seven days a week. Yeah, it then started to settle down after about May. um, And then we got into the restart and that in itself has had its own challenges and alongside all of that i've carried on doing clinical work uh, which has been in some ways a a sort of a a release from the college stuff but in other ways has, has really helped me to see how it is on the ground and understand issues about ppe uh and just seeing patients with covid um and perhaps i'll reflect on that a bit later so you know and we're now in a, in a in a different phase of it all we're trying to get uh normal nhs activity up and running again we're trying to get normal rcp functioning up and running again
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and in the background uh you know as we record this uh we've had two days of uh, a big increase in numbers of cases of covid in the uk mm-hmm. so uh you know the the rules of the game keep changing so um it's been it's been you know a, a fantastic opportunity in some ways. I've been lucky, if that's the right word, to be on the you know the, the front row of the biggest health uh, issue to face uh, the world uh, for decades. So yeah. you know um, I, you have you have to play the cards that life deals you. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, hopefully, I've made a bit of a difference. I've learned a lot about myself, and I've learned a lot about people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the key thing, I think that's what what you talked about was it was very challenging. And actually, there's been some good things about it as well that we can take away from this. What what sort of have you said you learned a lot about people and about yourself? What have you learned about others during this pandemic? The
1: first thing would be that, you know, as as a group of doctors working with other professionals and the nurses, particularly on my ward, you know, we've all pulled together when needed Mm. to. So if you sort of we've rallied behind the flag of COVID if you like. And that when the chips were down, everybody mucked in and we came up with the goods. And at times it was really, really hard and at times mm-hmm. it was uh very stressful and harrowing. Uh but we've all been there for ourselves. So so I think that from the clinical perspective it's been great to see that. I think from the political perspective, uh I've been frustrated perhaps with some of the communications the comms and particularly amongst you know what's supposed to be united kingdom well i think what's what's upset me the most is that we've had different sort of rules for the different nations and i think that's not been good because you need to have Mm. simple messaging for public health uh, and that's sort of lost i you know i've been interested to see how different uh, organizations have responded I think some uh, have responded really well I you know in, in, in moments like this you find out who your friends are and you find yes. out who, who your friends aren't um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but as, as a whole I think the professions come out of this pretty well yeah um, we've learned a lot about ourselves we've, we've you know you right. there are positives we uh, have been able to affect massive change in health services in a pretty short period of time because we've had to uh and I, and I think as long as we can continue to do the things that have been beneficial and have worked well and we don't sort of slip back into our ways mm-hmm. uh perhaps in time to come we'll you know we'll see this as a as a watershed moment in uh health
0: mm, i mean i hope so i mean i remember when we went into lockdown, within 24 hours, in my trust, we'd opened a 24-hour medical decisions unit. Now, we've been talking about that for years. And within 24 hours, it was open and up and running. And I think that rapidity of change um, in the infrastructure has been phenomenal, really. And I hope we can sustain that, definitely.
1: Yeah, so the example I'd use would be sort of virtual working at one and sort of virtual patient consultation. So we did this uh, report, did we, in 2018 about sustainability in outpatients. Yeah. Uh, and one of the recommendations we made there was that 30% of outpatient consultations should be virtual. For, you know, for simple reasons like uh, something like 20% of patients actually feel worse coming to out patients simply for the hassle of getting there you know yeah. take like two buses find a car park mm-hmm. can't find a car park. i mean how many patients have come into your clinic sort of utterly stressed because they haven't found a car yeah. park um and you know when that came out and then you know the nhs took that on board with the long-term plan but the number of people over the past couple of years you say don't be so ridiculous we're never going to be able to do that and then as you say <laughs> bosh covid yeah. happens and within a month mm-hmm. it's happening uh mm-hmm. to to more than 30% by a mile mm-hmm. um now i don't think that we you know we need to stay at the high levels that we're doing at the moment it'd be good to see much more face to face uh mm-hmm. consultations but you know if we can keep at 35 30 35% long term that's brilliant
0: yeah and i think it's been reflected in how we educate as well because before covid all of our education was face-to-face and something like educating over teams or skype we just didn't do it but now and for example conferences you know we're doing a lot of virtual online and it's just completely changed we no longer have to commute and go to london or wherever to go to a conference or have education it's been really eye on you actually
1: yeah it's a double-edged sword or two-faced coin or whatever analogy you want to use so I, i i think that you know we've continued to have lots of meetings during the past few months. So we would yeah. have what we call the Medical Specialties Board where we get all of the, the leads for the main medical specialties together uh, to talk about the issues that, that sort of are common um, around training, exams, but also sort of yeah, anything to do with standards. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and those meetings have happened sort of every four months. So they've been reasonably well attended, but it's really hard to get everybody in a room. And what we did during COVID, because the issues were... Uh, so acute and everybody wanted to know what was going on, everybody was sort of working together to try and come up with shared solutions, we ended up having fortnightly virtual meetings. Uh, Mm. And they were shorter, but everybody pitched up because they could. Mm. Uh, And nobody was spending two hours on a train or whatever. Uh, And so you're completely right. And And I think that ability to engage with a large number of people across the whole of the UK and globally, you know, the international conferences and things, Mm. So that's that's a real positive, Mm. but the downside to that is that it then becomes very easy, and so almost becomes a default setting. And you know, I now have days where I have eight, nine hours of back-to-back teams meetings, which, believe me, is a form of torture. (laughs) Uh, And and I think that we're going to have to get a discipline whereby meetings have to be a bit shorter to give people just a bit of an opportunity to get up walk around and walk mm. get, get away from the desktop but also you know we are human we are designed to interact with each other and yeah. on, on a sort of face-to-face basis mm. uh, and we've now started sort of i'm going down to the college uh, so for those who don't know i'm based in derby but i guess so i now go down to the college sort of one day a week for a few small face-to-face meetings uh, and that is just brilliant it's really mm. nice to see people and you kind of feel that he, everybody's being let out of the prison a bit
0: yeah. <laughs> um
1: uh, so i think we have to yeah. get, get the balance right between uh good access to everybody but mm. also not fatiguing people with one medium all the time and again I, i'm sure that will work its way out as time moves forward
0: mm. and i think a lot of the communication that's done at conferences and meetings isn't actually done in a meeting it's doing the coffee in between and that's sort of how you get to know people and how you you know involve people in maybe things you're thinking about doing um so i think we have lost a little bit of that connection
1: yeah Uh, now i've always said that so our regional updates over the past mm -hmm. couple of years have got more and more popular and yeah. attendance has gone up by by sort of third or half in some of them. And why is that? Um, I think it's because the, the the job as a NHS doctor has become become much busier because mm. the workload's got more. But also education's been more focused on sort of mandatory training, mm-hmm. you know, and and those days where you used to go mm-hmm. away within your hospital meeting teams to to talk about uh sort of conditions related to your specialty or hear about other specialties uh those meetings seem to have decreased so actually to have the opportunity to go away and listen to people who talk about what you really enjoy and you love in medicine and hear it from the experts but also then just to step outside of the hospital and as you say to meet friends you know i yeah so uh, i'm sure that many people i and i trained uh in my registrar training in the midlands mm-hmm. so when i go to meetings in the midlands i see lots of people i've known for decades and it's yes. really nice to catch up um and it's but it's also nice just to get out of the hospital and out of the college um so you're right um i i, I think that those we've got to somehow encompass that as well
0: what over obviously the the college have played a huge role in COVID over the last six months, um, in politics, in PPE, in research. Um, how how do you think the role of the college has changed during COVID to pre-COVID?
1: Well, certainly I'm having more meetings with politicians than I've ever had before. Getting okay. politicians to, you know, even to answer your emails used to be quite a challenge. Uh, but I mm-hmm. think uh, that they've realised that... Uh, you know, we've got important things to say and useful things to say and we have solutions to the problems. Um, And so that has that. I mean, that's been a sea change. That's been really good. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, we have been having regular meetings with the NHS leadership, which is, again, is is good because things have been changing and they know that people will listen to what we say what i write in my bulletins or what's published in commentary or whatever so mm-hmm. um it is they see they do realize that the colleges are a useful sort of communication way to to doctors and physician associates uh in the uk um i also you know if they have needed advice on stuff like guidelines and clinical guidelines and some of the issues mm-hmm. to do with ethics that were cropping up early early on in the pandemic uh yeah that used to be that guidelines would take weeks months yeah. to get approval and turned around and we were turning around guidance from nhs england and from nice within 24 hours at the peak mm-hmm. of the pandemic um and i think the the ability for the profession if you like to respond like that to make a meaningful contribution that uh could could be uh clinically useful but quickly uh, was really received well mm-hmm it's been such a rapidly changing situation yeah. that everybody's had to be sort of fleet on comms and so yeah in the early days, I would say something just as a sort of a, a, a comment in in either in my bullet or something and, and that would immediately get a sea of email responses mm. so it became clear that people were desperate for information uh, reliable information uh, and I, I think that's because we had you know we've we've got through the membership we've got lots of experts and know what they're talking about that people mm-hmm. expect um, and we were able to bring all of that together mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that also we had the ability to say it as it as it was and I was always very clear with folk in NHS uh, and with the politicians that you know we we were happy to try and help ensure that this was a coordinated response from all of us within the UK but we were going to call a spade a spade, and when something needed to be called out, we would do that, and they were happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that was a, yeah, it was almost a very grown up relationship, which uh, perhaps the system's not had before.
0: Well, I think one of the concerns that a lot of us have now in hospital is. What's going to happen? I mean, you've already touched on the fact that over the last two days, we've had nearly 3,000 cases um, on Monday and Sunday. How are we even going to prepare for this maybe second wave or the winter?
1: Well, we've got some hard choices to make, haven't we? There is is no doubt that the pattern of infection at the moment is different from how it was in the Mm -hmm. first wave. Uh, Mm -hmm. Younger people, and therefore, because they're younger, far fewer hospitalizations. hospitalisations, but it seems likely at some point that will catch up with us. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, my kids are both at university, just about to go back. Um, and, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, well, if they, if they go back to university mm-hmm. uh, and they catch COVID, they're young, that'll be fine. And they can keep it within their peer groups at university and they'll yes. come back for Christmas. And they'll be through it and it will be all fine. Um, now, that's, that's probably a bit naive. Um, but, you know, I also look at our young people and I think, you know, we can't stop people going to school. Mm. And the economy. We to, to go to a full-scale lockdown like we did in March mm. was the right thing. I'm not sure whether our economy will survive that. So mm. I think there are some really hard political decisions to come up. Um, mm. And it may be that we will just have to think about protecting the most vulnerable in our society again, mm-hmm. uh, but also trying to ensure that uh, society keeps going a bit you know, I you look around and people's behavior is almost back to what it was pre-covid and that's yeah. wrong you know, mm-hmm. we do need people to become uh much more self and other aware mm. uh, and be more responsible to society in the in the way they act um and perhaps we need a bit of a uh, a kick um in order to do that i i think people have forgotten how deadly this virus can be
0: so we touched on universities, and um, I've got an eight-year-old who's just come back to school and skipped into school. He was so happy to see his friends and be back and have some normality. You know, it is a possibility that we may have to think about closing schools again. And just, it's just such a difficult decision to make. And did the closure of schools back in March have an impact on COVID anyway? Do, will we ever know?
1: I mean, there was lots of modelling done in the early days about yeah. the... So, sort of, whether school closures would would have an impact, and the feeling was that it would, it was unlikely to have a massive impact, but it would, may, might have a uh, a significantly small impact, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think now that it's clear that some schools have really supported their pupils and their students uh, in lockdown, and others mm-hmm. have struggled to do so, uh, and some of the the sort of the, the gap, the educational gap, if you like, is just widened. Uh, and, and I think that has to be a real concern because, you know, education uh, is a key part of society uh, and getting our kids ready for the future. So um, I think that uh, people will do the utmost to keep schools at school.
0: Mm, absolutely. Uh, while we're on the education theme, um, working in Coventry, we've got a big tertiary hospital. We've got lots of trainees who are concerned about, You know, the effect on their training, exams, you know, their future. Um, How are the college sort of dealing with reinstigating the MRCP exams and PACES and things?
1: Yeah, two bits there, aren't they? So there's the training and then the exams. I'll cover the exams first. Yeah. Yeah, exams and our exams as physicians, you know, the the, the bit that the, the reason that the MRCP is seen as the best exam of its type. In the world I sound a bit like Jeremy Clarkson there but you know it is. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the reason for that is it, it is a supreme test of uh, an individual's ability to detect clinical signs and make a diagnosis mm-hmm. and then apply that to a management strategy and that you know you can substitute patients with actors and surrogates uh, and you can try and do some of that virtually but that's really really hard Uh, and i think therefore that's why we have been a bit different than some of the other colleges that we've tried sort of covid uh, model of mrcp we've tried to ensure that there is still uh, a test of examinations we've reduced the number of patients Mm -hmm. we've reduced the number of examiners Uh, got all sorts of mitigating factors in to reduce infection but so hopefully paces will be up and running within the next few weeks you know Mm -hmm. we're, we're in the process of getting all of that ready uh from the written exams we've got our part one hopefully next week uh seating uh we are sort of going more to online for our writings and that's so that's good that's for, we were moving that way anyway and covid is, is sort of forcing that at a bit faster the, the the worry that we all have is what happens if there is a really big second wave within the nhs and people are sort of then not given study leave to go and do exams and things. And I think we would push fairly hard to ensure that people had the ability to go to exams. But if they're really at stress uh, at work, asking them to revise for exams and go along doing exams, is that fair? Um, hmm. So hopefully we won't reach that point. And I'm kind of hoping that, yes, we will have a second wave, but that it, it will be different than the hmm. first wave and that it'll be, we'll be able to, if you like, segregate off the COVID work much better, you know, uh, the huge backlog that was created in non-COVID stuff and, and the impact on health uh, for those conditions, I think, shows that we have to do that. Okay, mm. so that was exams. I mean, I mean, training sort of comes alongside that. So yep. really, really grateful and get, have the opportunity to say thank you to all of the trainees who sort of, yeah, if they were out of programme, came back into to hospitals to help out, but also were okay with not rotating into new posts in April in order to sort of tackle the COVID crisis head on. And we have to remember that was actually a bit of a sacrifice for people. They, mm. Some people didn't get to rotate into things, A, they want to do a career in, or B, they needed in order sort of um, to tick tick the relevant boxes of their curriculum. So we have to make sure that we can facilitate that and that there aren't barriers put in their way because of that. So in some ways, there's sort of um, the ability for people to progress into uh, ST3 without... Cases was was mm. part of that, and you know, prioritising those people to, to be able to do the exam first. I what, one of the issues was recruitment, uh, and that mm-hmm. was really hard. And like, yeah, the long. Uh, just to say, you know, I can remember at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, we were umming and erring about, well, could we perhaps run exams in a certain way, and could we do this yeah. and do that. But it then became clear very quickly as a, as the situation escalated rapidly that just all bets were off, and it was crisis management um recruitment was a bit like that we wanted you know lots of different specialties were at different stages of recruitment so some thankfully had already recruited but Mm -hmm. others you know had 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 no interviews and some were sort of sort of halfway through their interviews I think we were quite keen to try and do video recruiting at the time but it became clear that that was probably getting releasing people's time in order to do that was not a goer uh, because everybody was needed at the front door um so i think that what was sort of arrived at was uh a bit hobson's choice it was the only option we had was uh, mm-hmm. completely imperfect so thinking about recruitment should there be a second wave i think we do have to to work hard to see if there's a video alternative if we can't go along with the traditional methods of recruiting mm-hmm. uh and certainly our trainees committee have been pretty involved in trying to, to push for that bottom line is nobody should really be penalized for Uh, within their training for having helped out with COVID.
0: Yeah. And I would echo what you said about the trainees. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of trainees who were due to rotate in April and they didn't. And they were with us in acute medicine and ED. And it was so incredible. Like everybody just stepped up and worked really hard. No complaints. The camaraderie and the teamwork. It was, I've never seen anything like it before.
1: Yeah. So so, so the the comment which... Which I heard, which I think summed it up a so, yeah, so much for the snowflake generation. I mean, this generation oh, of medical yeah. trainees have had more sort yeah. of uh, grief about n- not having whatever a spine, yeah. <laughs> which has been shown to be completely false. And I yeah. think that's 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 a good thing that's come out of the pandemic.
0: Yeah. I mean, we had um, medical students from Woke Medical School who volunteered to work with us for three months Um in their, they're just in their finals and they're like, no, I'm not going to sit at home. And they just worked with us and it was amazing. And just for them to give up their time was, yeah, it was people have amazed me, actually. It's
1: yeah, and amazing. I think that's, that's another, one of the positive things, you know, the final year of medical students stepping up to the plate yeah, yeah. Uh, as FIYs. Mm. That, to me, that is, that's good because that's something that I, I, I've kind of been pushing for a while. I think we need to make the, the last year of medical school an apprenticeship year. Uh, yeah. And COVID has shown that you can do that and you can do it very successfully. Um, So, again, um, we mustn't forget that our medical students and our trainees are, you know, the best of their generation. And Mm. uh, I think through COVID, they've
0: shown that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just going to change tack a little bit. And yesterday there was a lot there was a a bulletin from the college which was talking about research and um, a lot about the use of steroids. Um, and how beneficial they are. And I remember early COVID, we weren't we weren't giving fluids and we weren't giving steroids. And then again, everything changes and still is changing on a day to day, a week to week basis. But like the, the uh, trials that were sort of reported yesterday were really, really optimistic about the use of steroids.
1: Yeah. So I, the sort of the management of patients uh, in the ITU setting. Uh, in the early days was a lesson because i think what we yeah. saw there we saw that a, a really good network of communication between all the the units to figure yeah. out what was working and what wasn't working so we kind of knew that proning patients was a good thing for mm. you know uh, such pneumonias and ards and but it showed that was working and as you say the, the initial sort of mantra was run them dry uh, oh. and, and, and that proved to be so wrong uh, but that message got out pretty quickly and everybody communicated saying, mm-hmm. said, well, actually, this is what you need to do. They're at high risk of renal failure, et cetera, probably because of their mm-hmm. hypercaric state or whatever. Um, and, and and that was fantastic to see that, you know, clinicians yeah. were communicating with clinicians. Now, for the big research questions, I mean, we all know that, you know, should we use steroids and sepsis? Should we not? It's been going on for, you know, since I was a medical yeah. student. Um, yet within the UK, we managed through... Uh, the coordinated trials like recovery and recap map uh, to look at these things Uh, and we recruited huge numbers thousands and thousands of people into recovery uh, Mm -hmm. and we came up with answers Uh, and I think the world's you know rather been not surprised by it but they've seen the value of collaborative research Mm -hmm. and actually if you get everybody working together you can come up with some clear answers very quickly so now we know that if you give dexamethasone to patients with covid that you um will reduce mortality by a third um mm-hmm. in those that are mechanically ventilated and that's brilliant
0: mm-hmm. and um sort of where are we now with the vaccine
1: well um not quite as far as everybody was kind of hoping they, w- they w- we would be but I, th- I think everybody was perhaps too optimistic uh, mm-hmm. as you know there are big trials going on um using uh the the oxford vaccine uh mm. there are because the the level of cases has been pretty low here, those trials are going on in places like Brazil and South Africa. Um, and we wait to see what they're going to show. I think most people are expecting that the vaccine, you know, ab- about 80% of vaccine trials at this sort of stage will not succeed. So I think we mustn't be too uh, pinning all of our hopes on it. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, if we haven't had a successful vaccine trial by this time next year, we're really going to okay. struggle. But I would hope that we would see some positive results in spring, maybe get some before spring. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that, you know, coronaviruses have been around for a long time uh, and historically have always been difficult to vaccinate against. Um, I, I, I think we will have a vaccine, but I don't think it will be the be-all and end-all. And You've got to remember that, uh, you know, the flu vaccine is, is it, you know, works well. Uh, mm-hmm. Some years uh sixty percent uh, effective and other years depending on the strains that circulate whatever is only twenty percent effective yes. so I think we will probably have it now whether we have end up having have having to have a sort of a, a different covid vaccine each year we 'll wait and see mm-hmm. um, and i think we 're now learning that perhaps you can get reinfected with it once you 've had it, but we don 't understand how common that is and we don 't understand mm-hmm. uh how severe that illness is
0: um obviously it 's been a really challenging six months for everybody, um, particularly yourself in the position that you you hold. Is there anything that you would have approached differently on reflection? Uh,
1: I think, as as I said earlier, I think as as a nation, we should have been much clearer with our comms. I think that public health messaging was confused uh, Mm -hmm. and that had negative effects. Mm. You know, with the, the retrospectoscopes scopes, a fantastic instrument, yeah.
0: <laughs> um,
1: and everybody said, well, we should have closed, you know, we should have locked down earlier, we should have stopped flights coming. And everybody was, you know, in in the early days of February, people were thinking, well, should we perhaps stop flights coming from China? At mm-hmm. that period, of course, we had cases that were coming in from Spain and Italy and other parts of Europe, mm. unbeknownst to us. And there were lots of people still on their half-term skiing holidays in Italy or wherever. Yes. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I think people were looking elsewhere. And meanwhile, the virus was getting in. Um, and it all sort of escalated in so many different parts of the country so quickly. Um, you really have to question, could we have done anything about it? You know, if we'd have shut the whole country down in the first week of February, mm-hmm. uh, we might have done it. But I don't think the British public would have stood for that because yeah, you know, at that time there were so few cases. Mm. Um, but then uh, I think once it was in place, then... The country didn't really understand the strategy, and I and I understood that the strategy did have to be quite uh, adaptive to to what was being learnt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't. Let, yeah, that that if 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 I had the chance again, perhaps that's what I would suggest that we just needed to be a bit more strategic, and we needed to be a bit more clear in our comms as a country. Um, from a college point of view, would I do anything different? I probably would have not. Uh, I, I would have sort of acted on the exams that a little bit sooner we, we sort of spent a couple of weeks umming and erring about what to do and in, in, in retrospect again we should have perhaps just shut it down and then we could have used that time to do other things. Mm-hmm. Um but uh I think you know everybody was as I say pulled together really well and yeah. were you know fed back what was working and what wasn't working from a college yeah. perspective. So I, I think that was all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, um and yeah we are slowly getting back up to, to normal speed.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it's like you said earlier on, you know, even getting into work today it took a lot longer because life is sort of going back to normal. Um, but then I was in A&E last week and I am starting to see cases of COVID again. And poorly, you know, these patients are poorly and it's just like, I don't know. I'm sort of I'm glad that life is returning to normal to a certain extent with the children back at school. And, you know, we can go out for dinner. But then I'm seeing a lot of people who are ill again. And I I am concerned about what's going to happen in the winter, just from a personal perspective as well. I think and how, you know, I'm going to cope and how the hospital's going to cope and how the country going to cope. Um, it's going to be a very challenging um, few months ahead. But also, you think how how brilliantly the country has managed over the last six months really it's been incredible um and i think we'll get through it definitely
1: yeah i think uh, i think most people feel this winter's probably going to be you know the hardest ever um yeah. but on the positive side if our flu vaccination program works and flu sort of follows a similar pattern than it has done in australia uh, mm-hmm. that would be good um are, but on the negative side, as you say, you know, once the sort of the cases start coming in, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a tidal wave that's very hard to to, to keep
0: mm-hmm.
1: back. I think other things, you know, in the first wave, people were, it was new and people were working together and they weren't mm-hmm. too fatigued. Mm-hmm. Now we've had, you know, COVID going on now for six months and people are knackered um, yeah. and, yeah. you know, and, and they are physically tired they're emotionally tired uh psychologically tired and i think that's probably as much of a concern some people you know have have managed to have a break over some of them um and that's been a good thing
0: yeah
1: but we need to make sure that we look after all of our staff uh, to to keep them going through winter because it is going to be tough
0: it's really hard to know how to support them i mean you do everything you can but it's you know do we need to have a really Clear structure in place as to what we do when you know trainees become unwell because of the situation that you know has been forced upon them.
1: Yeah, so I, I think you know some hospitals have been really good at setting up wellness centers and things. Yeah. Uh, and you know many hospitals did have additional support during the first wave, and they've sort of pulled back a bit from that, which frustrates me. I think you know that they one of the positive things that needs to come out of this is a new way of looking about how we support the workforce, and that's not just doctors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, from, from a, a well-being point of view. Uh, and I think some hospitals have done it really well and it's mm-hmm. uh, we need to learn from them.
0: Obviously, I can't even begin to imagine what it's been like for you over the last six months. What have you done to help you cope?
1: So I'm lucky. I've got a fantastic family uh, yeah. uh, who have looked after me. So my, son, so whilst my daughter was on a gap year mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and was in Australia and managed to just get back. Oh, so, so she, she was at home uh, yeah. my my son uh, was on an intern year working uh, in london for disney and he was then working from home my wife uh, it works in a gp surgery so uh, everybody was around and that was great my cool. colleagues in derby have been uh, an absolute godsend and Mm have been fantastic support so i've and and i've always been able to sort of see the clinical nhs workers if you like a bit of release from the rcp stuff Mm -hmm. what have i done for myself uh i've I've taken to going for good long bike rides first thing in the morning early doors and that's quite a good way to sort of clear your head and 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 i'm Mm -hmm. i'm I'm a firm believer in the the medicine that is exercise and physical activity Mm -hmm. uh and and that's helped me and i you know i've hopefully kept my sense of humour through it all as well. I, I think yeah. that's one of the things that keeps us going. Um, and, uh, you know, lots of great colleagues within the college. The, the senior team uh, have all been fantastic as well. Um, so I think I'm lucky. I work with a great set of people. I live with a great set of people. And, um, yeah, it makes you realise that it is uh, the people around you that keep you going.
0: Yeah, I was just about to say it's the people I work with. It's been incredible. That's what keep you going. So when things are really difficult, we we did have a wellness hub and we still do, although it's not used as much at the moment. Every night at five o'clock, we had a dance party. Obviously, workload depending, but it was just to have that connection and just to get away from this is a bit of normality. Um, And we shared difficult stories. We shared happy things that are happening. And it was, yeah, I feel so close to my colleagues at work now. Completely different to what it was like a year before. Definitely.
1: Yeah, I think we've all got we've all got to know each other a bit better. I, I you know, yes. when when there were loads of staff, and the other thing that was a positive for me, we, you know, when we, there were loads of staff on the ward, everybody realised, well, actually, this is the sort of staffing level that we should have all the time. Yes. Um, but but <laughs> yeah. but you know, because the consultants and the trainees were all there, much more together. I think yeah. that was really beneficial. They said that the quality of the training and the supervision was much harder, better, so we got to understand each other a bit better. So um, again, those are things we've got to learn from and make sure that mm-hmm. we, we push to, to, to keep them going. I think it's it's important that we uh, know that it isn't all over yet and there's still a long way to go, but mm-hmm. that there are positives that have come out of this. And mm-hmm. as I said at the very beginning, I, I'm hoping this is a step change for the NHS, um and the most important thing at the moment is just to keep each other going and to say thank you to people um for all the work that they're doing
0: yeah absolutely so there's little daily acts of kindness isn't it a cup of tea for somebody or yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: someone left a little little thing of chocolates on my desk yeah. sort of in the early days and you said well, no, that and that just made my day and it was just a little act of kindness so yeah yeah
0: absolutely yeah thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your sort of what's been happening with you over the last six months it's been it's been great to talk to you um if there's anybody out there who wants to get in touch you can email at podcasts at rcplondon.ac.uk or you can get in touch on twitter at amy burbridge and as a closing note um i want to say uh keep smiling and also let's all try you know for the next week or so Uh, do an act of kindness to somebody at work Uh, thank you very much for listening goodbye
1: bye bye everybody